take care of people like doctors and nurses. Maybe somebody in history who did something really amazing. Maybe that is somebody that you would call a hero or a role model. Now, if you ask some people who their hero would be, there are some people who would say that their hero is themselves. Today, Jesus is going to warn us about men who really, really want to be everybody's hero. They want everybody to look up to them and tell them how great they are. Jesus warns us about those men. They don't really love God in their hearts. They do good things because they want people to know that they're great. But Jesus also points out somebody who we should look up to, who we should admire and even want to be like. Who do you think Jesus points out as someone who should be our hero? He points out a poor woman whose husband has died. Jesus could see her heart. And he knew that even though this woman had a very hard life, she had loved God and loved his people so much she was willing to give everything she had to them. And Jesus thought that was amazing. Now, if we can learn to see like Jesus, we will see many people who we might not usually notice that God would tell us to look up to as those who teach us how to love him and love others. Those are the people to be thankful for because they're showing us the same heart that Jesus showed us when he died for us. Let's see how Jesus teaches us that in Mark chapter 12. We're at Mark 12, verses 38 to 44. Mark 12, 38 to 44. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and in the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor woman has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus taught this as he was in the temple with a great crowd gathered around him. Now, Jesus had just shown incredible wisdom answering the questions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And now, with all these people listening to him, he delivers this final blow. And the first point that we can see here is this. Beware of self-serving religion. Now, Jesus points out the scribes here. He warns about the scribes. The scribes were the teachers of the law. It was their job to instruct people in the synagogue. And you could always see a scribe coming. They wore long white robes with prayer tassels, which would set them apart from the, the colorful clothes that people wore in that day. And you were supposed to be able to see a scribe coming because you were supposed to be getting ready to know how you would greet that scribe when he approached you, to prepare yourself to offer him the appropriate deference and recognition that their office deserved. The scribes were, of course, very respected men in their day. They were the ones who were holding fast against the culture of Greece and Rome. 
They insisted that God's law be followed. They hated to see that sin and perversion which had taken over so many people in their day. They campaigned for righteousness and holiness. Those seem like the kind of guys that we want to admire. The guys that we're trying to put out up front. The people that we want more people to listen to. Put that man in a respected position. We need to hear more from him. But Jesus points out that for those scribes, all of that righteousness was external. Their reputation depended on them being known as the extra holy men. And so they developed these traditions and these patterns that would set them apart from everyone else. Those long white robes, those long public prayers in the marketplace, those special seats in the synagogue and at feasts. None of that is from God's word. None of that is what God asked for. And God's people should have been able to open their Bibles and say, I don't see that here. I don't see this as the way that we can recognize who is following God, who we are meant to look up to. All of those traditions are not created for God's sake. For whose sake then are they? They are for the scribes themselves to benefit them in their pride. This means all of that holiness, all of those traditions, all those things that made you think these were the men to look up to was clearly just whitewash over selfish, wicked hearts. It is so easy to look back and say, I would have been wise to that game. I would have seen those guys in those white robes and I would have said, where do you see that in Jeremiah? Oh, I would have known Friends, how often has the church fallen prey to this exact problem? (laughs) Again and again and again and again. Hypocritical displays of righteousness that are not rooted in God's word. Traditions that God has not created. Again and again, men adopting special clothing, special trinkets. Traditions that set themselves apart as the super extra religious class. The Eastern and the Roman churches allowed this hypocritical tradition to just run amok despite so many clear warnings, special classes of clergy set apart, meant to be treated with extra deference. Men and women lined up to kiss the ring of a man and receive his blessing. Men in the desert performing acts of self-deprivation and mysticism, apparently getting closer to God. Or in Protestant churches, we have television evangelists leading pledge drives to support the ministries that they've named after themselves, hiring ghostwriters so they can write more books and develop a bigger footprint for themselves, creating new and increasingly unneeded ministries to give them leadership qualifications and positions that God has not required. Men traveling around the world to receive special blessings from pastors These warnings from Jesus are so clear and so striking, and yet it is a trap we fall into time and again and again. And this should show us we must be vigilant to see those who perform their works of righteousness for others rather than for God. These examples Jesus gives of the scribes' behavior helps us to see how we look out for hypocritical leaders, hypocritical teachers, and even hypocrisy taking root in our own heart in the church. Now, there are some people who would take absolutely no joy in being a member of the church unless they were in a position of leadership. They would have no delight in just being a sheep 
among God's flock. They would need a recognized position or they would have no identity, no sense of, uh, of joy in God's people. God does not want leaders in his church who are there because they need to be leaders. He wants leaders who are in this position because they love the church and want to see it led the way God desires. Also beware of leaders who are unhappy if their work is not being commended. Many of us feel like this, don't we? (laughs) Sometimes. If nobody comes up and congratulates us for something that we do, don't you just immediately ask what we must have done wrong? (laughs) I didn't get commended. What should I have done better? On the flip side, we start to resent and run from criticism. We think that it's proof that people think that we are a failure, that we shouldn't be in this position. Beware of leaders that it is impossible to criticize. Anyone who resents correction and criticism has failed Proverbs' kindergarten test of wisdom, which is to be able to be corrected. Without that humility, we can never be wise, as God calls us to. And finally... Beware of leaders who pursue whichever position or opportunity will most maximize their recognition, who chart their path of ministry based on what will expose them to the greatest audience. The scribes were looking for places where they could be most visible. Their longest prayers were the prayers in the marketplace where everyone could see them and hear them praying. They sought out the best seats at feasts. We must discern whether a ministry or the work of a leader is something that they are doing for the sake of the gospel or whether it is to grow their own profile. In an age where it is so easy to start a parachurch ministry, a blog, a podcast, a conference, we have to be wise to ask why we are pursuing these things. They're not bad in and of themselves. Are they here for the benefit of those who are receiving them or the benefit of those who are being promoted through them. Jesus says, when the scribes become absorbed in their self-serving religion, they not only become tolerant of sinfulness in their hearts, they don't care about the sin that no one can see, but they will even start to abuse the people that they have been given to lead for the sake of their sin. Jesus says they devour widows' houses. The scribes survived off of the giving of the people. Jesus says they had abused that generosity. They were ruining even the poor people in the church that they should have been caring for. They were devouring the people who needed them most. These sins are nefarious and they are pervasive. And even though they look so obvious and so egregious, so clear that we would have known not to give any time to people who committed such sins, they start off so subtly and so quietly in our hearts. So we have to hear, Jesus is giving us the strongest warning against self-serving hypocrisy. He is not treating this as a secondary issue. He says they will receive the greater condemnation. Do not underestimate the wickedness of the sin of hypocrisy, Jesus says. These men will find themselves in hell, numbered among the worst sinners that they have condemned for perverting God's people. Friends, 
if false religions and religions that worship idols are wicked to God, how much horrible is it to twist the true faith into a religion like that? And to abuse and take advantage of those who have come to Christ to be cared for by his people. So let us all stand in fear of hypocrisy, in fear of performative religion. Let's root it out of our hearts and let's be on guard not to take pride in our faith, not to spotlight it in front of others. Let us run from our own rejection of criticism and correction. Confess private sin to others, even if it will cost you your reputation. Seek out leaders who will be examples to you in this, rather than pointing you towards self-serving religion and encouraging you to give the most attention to the people who are most visible. Now, in both this warning and the commendation that's going to follow, there is a central point we need to hear. It's what we heard when Samuel appointed David, that God sees and judges hearts. Externals are not going to fool God. He sees the beautiful heart of many people that the world and even the church have overlooked. And he sees the rotten heart of many people that the world and even the church have praised. You can never bury your wicked motives deep enough to hide them from God. But he will also see beautiful things which are lost to us because they are done with no thought of praise or self-promotion. And this leads to our next point. After this warning, Jesus and his disciples go into the temple where they see people putting money into the temple treasury and they watch as many rich men come and they make lavish donations and following them comes a poor widow. Verse 42, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So our second point, Jesus commends humility and self-sacrifice. Now the money that was given by these rich men would go a long way in supporting the ministry of the temple and providing for God's people. If you were the one counting these gifts, if you were the one to receive them, it would be hard not to feel a rush of gratitude at such large and lavish gifts and contributions. It would have been very easy to just want to heap praise on those who have offered so much help. Seek out ways to honor and recognize them. And yet... Jesus says, these men who were giving here gave out of their abundance. Their gifts were not costly to them. This doesn't necessarily mean that their heart was wicked in giving their gifts, but Jesus is pointing out the most praise will be heaped upon those who give at less cost to themselves. Not only that, but their gifts can gain them commendation and good standing so they could even put in these large lavish gifts for the sake of their own benefit. So Jesus warns that even though these gifts look large, they do not have to come from hearts that truly love God or his people. Now, by contrast, Jesus directs his disciples to look at a poor widow, a woman who everyone in the temple would have overlooked. She puts two small 
copper coins in the treasury. She puts in a penny. No one would have given her a second thought. Her gift won't amount to anything special or useful in the temple. There will be no wing of the synagogue named after her. She will not be listed on the plaque of honored ministry partners. She will not be read among the list of top-tier supporters on a YouTube video. There will be no greetings in the marketplace or special seats of honor at feasts or in the synagogue for her. And this is in part why Jesus points her out, because this woman clearly had no chance of gaining anything worldly by her gift. There is no hope of her being commended by men. No one will ever notice. And yet, she is willing to give an amount that comes at enormous cost to her. This gift would have affected this woman's eating, her housing situation. When the rich can make lavish gifts that receives such praise without even affecting their entertainments. This woman is willing to give over all she has to live on with no chance of any earthly recognition or reward. So why give everything, even if there is no hope of gain from men? Because this woman loves God, and she loves God's people. She saw God as worthy of everything she had to give. And she was eager to give it for no other pleasure than the pleasure of the Lord himself. She trusted God's promises that he would take care of her and even offer her a greater inheritance than any money was going to buy her. And we can see in Jesus' commendation that is exactly what this woman received. When she was overlooked by men, our Savior saw her. God saw her. And God was pleased. God does not evaluate our gifts based on their monetary quantity or their usefulness. He's not weighing who gave him a better product. He's looking at the heart of the one who gives. This woman, by being willing to offer all she had, had clearly given God something more valuable than her money. She had given him herself. She had given him her heart. She was loving God with her whole heart and loving her neighbor, even at cost to herself. Friends, you may have much or you may have little. You may be rich. You might be poor. Your gift, if we are weighing amounts, might look large. Maybe it'll look small. That might be true of your time and talents as well as your money. Some people's gifts shared with the church are very visible. They're very easy to commend. Some are harder to see. But God is not asking about the amount you gave. He is looking at your heart as you give. The question that all of us, no matter how much we own or how much we can do, must ask is, what does my contribution to God's family say about my heart? Does my use of my money, my time, my energy, does it demonstrate that I really treasure God himself? That I really treasure Christ and his people? I see that as my greatest joy. 
Do you see your whole self as belonging to God and evaluate your use of all that is yours based on his glory, his love? Or does he get what is left over after you have made sure that you have gotten all that you want, after your pleasures are provided for, after you have been satisfied? Now, there's a hidden character in this story. If we were to read Mark right through, right from the moment that Jesus casts all of the money changers out of the temple, the temple is a major player in this scene. And in the next passage, Jesus and his disciples are going to turn and look at the temple itself. The temple hangs like a shadow over this story. Those good gifts of the temple, like offerings and sacrifices... Those were the very things that men like the Pharisees and the scribes could abuse as a part of their performative holiness. Contributions to the temple had even become a scam for some leaders to enrich and provide for themselves. The temple was a place where these people could come and make their lavish contributions. And it would be visible in the upkeep of the temple. Look, look at the good job I've done taking care of God's house. Look at how I've provided for it. Look at the golden utensils. Look at the state of the altar. That's what I've done. That's me caring for God's house. And yet, here is a poor widow who has honored the house of God more than any of those men because she has come into God's house with love of God in her heart, with pure devotion and sacrifice. This is our third point, how God delights to build up his house. The physical temple, with all of its ceremonial gifts like sacrifices and offerings, is about to be destroyed. Within a generation, the Romans are going to come and obliterate it. Now, for those hypocritical religious men of Jesus' day, their chief means of pride and self-satisfaction are going to be taken away. But for those who trust in God and love his household, God does not leave him without his presence or without a household to come to. Even now, Jesus is building up a household of living stones for God. And you and I are saved into a family, into a household, and we are indwelt by his spirit. When we make contributions of our time, our gifts, our money to the church, the church family. It is meant to be for the care and upkeep of God's household, which we know is us, the needs of its members, the growth of that household around the world. Something we are meant to see in this story is that even as this widow was offering all she had to live on, God's people ought to have been taking care of her. She was the exact type of person Jesus says the scribes have been abusing. She should have been invited to humbly provide her gifts, knowing that God's people in turn would use their gifts and their money and their energy to take care of her. This widow showed by her gift the incredible value she placed upon God's presence and his people, but she in turn ought to have been valued as one of God's people. Our contribution to God's household still shows the value that you place upon God's family and your place in his family. We are not meant to look at our gifts and contributions and say, what do they say about us? 
What do they tell people about me? Our contributions show how much we prize what we are giving to. By learning to give to God's family like this widow did, we are learning to care for and love people like her. That is how we love this widow. We love people like her in God's family. We give to those even who might offer us very little material benefit, but are treasured by us as brothers and sisters because it is so good to belong to the household of God. There are still those who are able to give lavishly to the church, money, talents, but they could still give in a way that costs them nothing. It gains them much praise and little cost. This is, of course, a danger and a good warning to all of those who have been blessed with worldly means. Those who lead, those who have qualities that the world prizes, we must ask, have we given in such a way that shows that we also have counted the cost of following Christ and found him worthy of our whole lives, just like this widow did? Let us, no matter how much we have, make this woman an example to us. Does your contribution to God's family come at no cost to you? Do you ensure that it comes at no cost to you? Is it an afterthought that you have after you've made sure to supply all else that you need or desire? Or worse, is your contribution planned based on what would receive the most benefit for you? What might earn you praise or recognition? Consider your own contribution to God's family and ask, what does that say about the value that you place on his family and on his people? Let us not be so foolish as to commend this woman and to learn nothing from what Jesus has taught us through her. Now there is also a wonderful commendation and comfort in this passage that there are people here who might need to hear. You might feel that your contributions are not valuable because from a worldly perspective, they are not the kind of giving that people would notice. You lack the worldly means, and that makes your church contributions smaller than the giving of others. Maybe you have unbelieving family members, and that makes it hard for you to offer hospitality and time the way that other people are able to. Maybe you can't give as much time to the church because you are caring for a relative in need. Maybe you serve the church in a way that no one sees or notices. You might look at the people who are serving the church in very visible and recognizable ways and just say, your contribution to the family of God is so small, so insignificant compared to theirs. Your gifts are so meager by comparison. But brother and sister, this is not what God sees. He is not weighing the size of your gifts. He is looking at your heart he sees how you have given yourself, maybe even in the love for your family and your church family, the sacrifices that you are making. Your love and service might never earn you the praise of men and women, but they are the delight of your Father in heaven. They are the joy of Jesus, and the angels are singing in heaven. One day, when all of the accolades of this world and all of the rewards that people can give have rotted away, rusted and been stolen and gone, you will receive that sweet and treasured commendation, which is the only one of real eternal value. Well done, my good and faithful servant. 
Church, as much as we are able, we need to look at one another with the eyes that God has. Eyes that consider the heart rather than judging externals as men do. This will not only help us beware of those men Jesus warns us about, but it will help us to love and care for those who Jesus commends. It will help us to build up the church the way God wants us to. The church should be the place where people like this widow who have little but give much are honored, not just by our praise. We don't want to turn this into a reverse commendation of men, but by us offering love and care for them, people like her. This is why we all rich and poor must give sacrificially as she does so that we can be a family that loves and cares for the needs of our brothers and sisters. 1 Timothy 5 tells us that all of this is absolutely a mandate of the church. This is what this household is meant to do. To honor those who have given of themselves by making sure that they are cared for as members of this family. Widows are to remember that even they can and should make valuable contributions to the church. Hospitality, prayer, love. And the church is meant to take responsibility in turn to love and care for the needs of those dear saints. None of us is in a position where we can say that we have nothing to offer God's family or that we are excused from offering to it. And all of us are meant to be blessed and cared for by the members of this family. This is how God's household is built up by the church giving up her treasures of this world to love and support one another. God desires to build up the household this way because that was the way that God laid the cornerstone of this house. In the midst of all of these people in our passage today, the scribes, the widow, the rich men, the disciples, there is one person here entitled to all of the riches and glory of creation. And there he is, poor, nowhere to lay his head. He left his throne in heaven to become poor among us so that he might become the cornerstone of the household of God. Isaiah says that Jesus had no special attractive form or appearance so that people were drawn to praise him. In fact, what have we just watched? We've watched all the respected and honored people of Jesus' day come to attack him, to try and thwart him, to try and push him down at every turn. And very soon after these events, Jesus is going to lay down his very life. He is going to endure pain and scorn and the very punishment of God for the love of his people. Jesus has not asked this widow or anyone else to give up anything less than he has offered, anything more than he has offered for us. He calls us to take up our cross and follow him. But he has already gone before us. And he did this for the joy set before him. And he calls us to see the joy that is set before us. Hope and expectation of eternal promises, even as we lay down our lives for the love of God and his church. So what would it mean for you to lay down your life as Christ has given his up for you? 
What would it mean for you to open up your closed hands to God and his people? Do not judge your generosity based on benefits or commendation. Do not judge based on what will best accommodate all of the non-negotiable plans that you have made for yourself. Look at your whole life and say that belongs to God. Look at your whole self and say this belongs to my Savior even as he gave his life for me. Surrender it to him and then let your love of God and his people settle for you that he is worth more to you than the things of this world. That his promises are greater to you than the returns this world can make for your love and your generosity. Perhaps you recognize in your heart that you have given nothing to God. You have not even given him yourself. Your heart is still your own. Your whole life, your time, your energy goes to your slavery to sin. Maybe you look into your heart and see that it is not God's at all. That you are still worshiping the idols of this world and not going to inherit any of God's promises. My friend, look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus did. He humbled himself. He was scorned. He endured opposition and he laid down his life and endured the full wrath of God to pay for the punishment of your self-love and your self-serving. He is worthy of your money, your time, your stuff, so much more. He is worthy of yourself. He is worthy of your heart. He is worthy of your life. Trust in him and be amazed to see the return that he offers us. No matter how humble we are in this world, no matter how humbled we become, we have a place in the eternal kingdom of Jesus. We have the promises of the joy of the new creation where we will be lifted up by God to reign. Just as James says, let the rich rejoice in his humiliation. Let the poor rejoice in his exaltation in this family. There is no greater cost than the cost that has been paid for you by Jesus. There is no greater treasure than the treasure that is being offered to you by Jesus. Trust in him. Lay down your life as a living sacrifice in return for the one who gave everything for you. And be welcomed into a household that will be built up by God forever and forever unto eternal joy in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the sweet promises of Jesus. I pray that we would count any cost as worthy of him and his promises. And I pray that we would rest, even in sacrificing our whole lives to you, knowing that you have given us a family in this world and eternal promises in the next one. Thank you that this is a family that we can pour into in love and care that will go on forever. I pray, Father, that we would be a church that sees and knows the needs of our brothers and sisters and cares for those needs. I pray that we would commend what is commendable, that we would flee from performative religion 
that we would not only be here to serve ourselves and our reputation, we would serve one another even as we serve and love you and rest maybe in losing all this world because we have a Savior who makes us sweet, sweet promises in the next. Pray in his name. Amen.